All right, everybody. So today on the podcast, we have Dr. Crystal Zuniga. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks. Yep. And uh, so as with all the podcasts, we will start with our charity donation. And you had one specifically in mind. So maybe you could just briefly explain that. Yeah. Moving Beyond Cancer Collaborative is a nonprofit organization based in Austin, Texas, but the classes are available to anyone around the world and they offer free or reduced cost integrative wellness classes. So exercise classes, um, group support for anyone that's affected by cancer. So not only the patient, but their caregivers. Okay. Awesome. And we will have a link below for anybody who wants to contribute. So we got connected actually through Dr. Gabrielle Fondaro, who's been on the podcast, I think like five times now. So she's been on quite a bit. And the reason was I was asking her if she knew anybody, because she is an RD and PhD as well. And I was asking her if she knew anybody who, because she, she does a lot with like gut health. Um, but if there's anybody who she specifically knew dealt with um, either like inflammatory bowel disease or anything like that. And, and I know you had done that clinically, but then also now you focused a lot on nutrition and cancer. Is that right? Yes. Um, so, so maybe just go a little bit into like your background, your education. So you do have a PhD in RD as well, right? Yes. Um, so I did my undergrad in dietetics at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Then I went to the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, to get my PhD in nutrition. And my research there was about dietary interventions for prevention of prostate cancer. And I got really interested in understanding how what we eat affects cancer risk but also cancer outcomes. Uh, so I did my uh, dietetic internship there as well. I was a professor at Texas State University for five years. And now I'm at Dell Medical School at University of Texas at Austin. And I uh, support an oncology clinic. And in that clinic, we do primarily see GI related cancers, but I support many okay. different cancer types. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think most people at least have some interest in cancer, right? Just because it can affect anybody. So there's just kind of a general interest. I would say my audience is certainly more than average into health and fitness. Uh, and so I think there's a few things to dive into. I would wonder with such a strong background, is it just consistently frustrating to be on social media where everybody is kind of a nutrition expert in their own head? Increasingly frustrating. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like I, like I look at Lane, like we talked about how you went to school, same school as Lane Norton. And sometimes I think it's like, okay, like, you know, he could be kind of a jerk to this person or like, he's just like, seems so angry at everybody. But at the same time, I think like, okay, so when you have been doing this for that long, right. And I'm kind of in the same boat as far as like, you know, I've been reading about like nutrition and health and everything since I was 12 years old. Um, and, and you have learned so much and then you see somebody who comes in and they've been doing it for a year or two years and they think they know everything. And like, that's, I get frustrated with it. So like, I'm, I'm sure at your level of education and his, when you see it and you realize like, there's no nuance at all to this post, or this is completely just backwards. Like it, it must be constantly irritating. I think that's exactly describing it correctly. Like they do it with so much conviction without explaining the nuance of nutrition mm -hmm. and then seeing it in practice is where I get increasingly frustrated and angry about it because I see how the patients come in completely confused, overwhelmed, trying to weed out what's right, what's not to make the best decision for their health. So the more misinformation that is out there, it makes it harder for the people that really need to apply it for their disease. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and so there's a few areas with, with the cancer that I, I want to get into. But first, I just want to ask about 
Uh, you mentioned like, you know, it's with colon cancers and, and your background with inflammatory bowel disease. My understanding is, and like from what I've read is that, you know, we don't know what causes a lot of these autoimmune issues and like inflammatory bowel disease. Um, however, so people would say, well, diet isn't a factor in terms of maybe causing it. And I think that's still up in the air of like what would cause it. Um, however, I've heard like gastroenterologists and other doctors say that diet has no impact on the disease, which from my perspective was shocking, first of all, because it's a GI disease. So to say that it wouldn't affect it is amazing. Uh, and secondly, while I know that it's impossible to do like these huge randomized controlled trials, like we have with like maybe drug studies and everything. Um, there are, at least from what I've seen, some significant studies showing how diet does impact both symptoms and even potentially inflammation in these diseases. So I just want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. That's unfortunate that it's, it was portrayed that way, or you've heard that because yeah, how a, a would number of times, not, yeah. Yeah. How would diet not have an effect on the GI tract and the function and the health of that? Just yeah. understand the physiology of the GI yeah, tract. Yeah. Um, and we do know that for example, exclusive enteral nutrition is mm -hmm. a therapy that is used when someone is uh, having a bad flare-up of IBD. So breaking down nutrients into basic form so that the person can still get the nutrition in those intestinal cells mm -hmm. to support healing and recovery. So we know that right, the yeah. function of the GI tract is compromised. So the nutrients that it's getting is going to be compromised. But when you supply nutrients, the gut heals. So just for people listening, exclusive enteral nutrition, that would basically be taking like the monomeric forms, right, of the macronutrients in a, in a liquid, right, that's yeah. very easily digestible and, and there's less to break down, right? Right, exactly. They digest all the macros into smaller pieces, essentially. So not proteins, now they're peptides or mm. single amino acids. So those intestinal cells don't have to do as much of that digestion. So I once <laughs> tried to do that myself. And uh, so the first experiment was, and, and I'm very surprised by some of the studies that they will use like uh, insure or boost with like a pediatric inflammatory bowel disease. And to me, the ingredients seemed horrible as far as like quality of the ingredients in them. I tried it. I had three days of that. And, and in the studies, they show good results. Like in the ones I've seen, at least I tried three days of, I think it was boost and it was horrible. Like the amount of GI distress I had was like more than I had the entire year prior. So I don't know if that was just because it was such a shift from what I was doing. And, and then the next experiment, like right after that, I was like, well, I don't want to just give up. So I tried to make my own, basically I did essential amino acids mm -hmm. plus dextrose plus, um, like, uh, MCT oil, like to try to like get some, it, it like I've done a lot. This was one of the nastiest things I've, I've ever had. I couldn't, I literally couldn't do it more than a day. And um, yeah. like, it was just, it was so awful. So more just a, a story than anything else. But uh, I don't know if you, have you uh, seen or thought much about these like boost and insure uh, trials? Yeah. And like, again, the standard boost or insure that is available off of the shelf is not the same as those monomeric formulas or polymeric formulas um, that are going to be used more clinically. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that those have ingredients, they have a time and place. I say, I, what I don't like is I often hear, like, well, I was losing weight. My patient, my provider said this drink insure or boost, like there's more, there's more. other options that we can do to increase yeah. your nutrition intake without relying on these products. 
Um, so I think it's kind of a shortcut. And then people don't like them because mm. they might have GI distress because they're very concentrated formulas. Yeah. Uh, the taste is not great. Yeah. So <laughs> and, I was not aware that they were, I thought in these trials that it was the boost and ensure that you would buy at like a supermarket. You're saying that it's a, there's a separate specifically monomeric type for clinical trials. Yes. Yeah. Or um, they are different varieties of those products. Okay. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's where I went wrong. Then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause those are very, right. The ones that you saw had, for example, high fructose corn syrup. Right. And the soybean oils and stuff like that. Or so. whey protein isolate versus yes. um, these other products are hydrolyzed proteins. Um, and let's talk about dextrose, for example, to get right. that into the free form. So it's easier to absorb. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with the specific carbohydrate diet? Yes. Do you have any opinions on it? I think there is some limited research on how that can be helpful for those that are in a flare-up. Mm -hmm. Well, when you think about it, what you're doing is limiting the types of carbs that need those disaccharases in, mm -hmm. um, from those intestinal cells. So that does make some sense if you're putting less work on those intestinal cells that yeah. you would be able to absorb those nutrients better. But as far as being used long-term, it has a lot of limitations in the variety yeah. of the diet. So. Yeah, I've, I've done a elimination diet like that before. And, and really for anybody listening, so and I've known a number of people either who have inflammatory bowel disease or just GI distress who've done it. It was written by Elaine Gottschall, like, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. So I think the science is a little bit dated. Um, the theory behind it was that you should only be able to have, like basically have only monosaccharides. But I, I find that some of the, like, the legal foods are a little bit contradictory to that and vice versa. Like, I don't know if their rationale for why it works is completely sound. I think ultimately it's an elimination diet that starts you off with pretty easily tolerated foods and, and then you slowly increase. Um, but I, I do, you know, as much as I don't like to see like a gastroenterologist saying diet doesn't matter. I also think it's problematic when a lot of these like Facebook groups and stuff, they're like, never take medication. I'm not going to do this. Like it's only diet. And I don't think there's a ton of evidence that just diet alone is going to be enough for people who have like legitimate disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When there's already inflammation and the intestinal cells are having a hard time getting the nutritional needs they need to heal, going on a more restrictive diet is not going to help promote that healing. And yeah. Um, for example, with the specific carbohydrate diet, I agree that how can we tease out? Is it because you're not requiring the disaccharides or that you're just limiting how many foods you're presenting to the gut mm -hmm. that right. are maybe gas producing or, right. um, yeah. Yep. And some people then on these diets have to think really hard about what they're going to eat and do planning around mm -hmm. what they're going to eat and making more foods at home because these ingredients that are on the no list. Um, are going to be in processed foods. So how much of it is, yeah, you're limiting this group of foods or that you're eating on a more regular schedule. You're thinking more about your foods. You're making more foods from home. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It is tough. And, you know, I, like I sympathize with these people because um, if you have like a lot of these symptoms, it can make life very difficult. And, and also to be fair, like some of these medications are very scary, right? I, I mean, some of these uh, like TNF alpha inhibitors and things like that will suppress one's immune system. And there's a lot of side effects. So I understand the, the emotional desire for just a dietary answer, but unfortunately it's not always enough. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like to approach nutrition with these patients as let's do something to try to reduce the risk of having a flare up mm-hmm. and approaching nutrition as also something to support their overall health and quality of life. Because if these restrictions are impacting your quality of life and causing stress, how is that helping the overall picture? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure you could then have an analogy to cancer there, right? I mean, I mean there's people who don't want to do you know, whatever cancer treatment it is, and they just try to handle it nutritionally. And, and I'm sure you're going to tell us a lot about how nutrition can help with, with cancer, but, um, I'm sure you would never say don't also get (laughs) treatment for it medically. Yeah. It's unfortunate, you know, kind of back to what we talked to earlier with this misinformation around diet and like the body can heal itself and cure itself can cause people to delay necessary treatments where, then the treatments that we did have available might not be working at that point yeah. anymore. Now it's too advanced. Wasn't that, and I don't know too much about the story, but wasn't that kind of an issue with Steve Jobs? Didn't he try to do stuff nutritionally? And because of that, I had heard that that story was a little bit overblown. That in reality, the cancer he had was like going to be fatal regardless, but that he could have lived longer had he not delayed and tried to go purely nutritional route. Yeah. I had heard, yeah, I don't know all of the details to the story. What I had heard was that he had a neuroendocrine tumor in his pancreas that was mm-hmm. resectable. We do know with pancreatic cancer, if you can remove the tumor, uh, the survival rate is much higher than if it's an unresectable yeah. pancreatic cancer. But he decided to do a, something alternative and didn't mm-hmm. want to do the surgery. Um, and then it became a point where that cancer progressed. It's not resectable anymore. And then, yes, you're dealing with a much lower survival rate. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, I don't know, you know, too much of his background, but you got to assume this guy is an extremely intelligent individual. And yet people, I guess, will look for alternatives. I just saw um, a YouTube ad. So so I'm a dentist, right? And I saw this YouTube ad on this guy's like five minute video on like, he's got this secret on how you don't have to extract teeth, you don't have to go to the dentist. And I'm like, Oh, what is this? And it was just like a pill. It was like a pill that's supposed to make your saliva work better. And, and literally he was like, don't ever have to go back to the dentist. And I was like, how is this possible that this is even legally promoted right now? But then we have books like Medical Medium, right? And, and so that book, my dad will every once in a while be like, you got to read this book, right? And, and he's a smart guy. You know, he's an attorney, he's educated. But I think people who don't have like a significant background in like specifically nutrition and like the scientific method will get caught up in things. And I'm like, look, I'm like, I went through like half the book and I was like, I, I can't read this book anymore, you know? And, and I saw you made a post about medical medium. So maybe uh-huh. touch on that a little bit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I tried to read a recent article. It's trying like, what, what quackery is he promoting mm-hmm. today? I, was like, I couldn't even get past one paragraph. I'm like none of this makes sense. If you have any understanding of biology Yeah. and, but he uses <laughs> a lot of words like toxins and poisons and industry industrial. And so it induces a lot of fear. It's like, once you create that fear, then he's creating a solution and resolving that fear. Right? So yeah. that's what really draws people in. Yeah. And, and they don't, I mean, again, it's been a while since I even checked out. Wasn't he saying like, wasn't the whole thing about being a medium that he was saying that he was getting these answers from like, they were coming right. to it. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. like, how does that not set off like 20 red flags in your head immediately? I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. You said that he got spirit when he was four years old. The story okay. I'd heard. And that he sensed that his grandma had lung cancer and he, his spirit told him that. And then his grandma did have lung cancer. Mm. So 
um, again, how, how that's not. A yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah, like I support people's spirituality and whatever you want to sure. believe. But once you start saying that this applies to the whole world and that you have the answers, yeah, everyone's health, it's like trying to be a prophet and yeah, <laughs> yeah. False God. yeah. Right. Um, Mark Hyman is another one that I think, I don't know if he's as bad, but that was another one that another book my dad wanted me to read. And I was just like, we gotta, we gotta sit down and talk about these books. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, with Mark, what I, what I find it was with a lot of these people is they will actually say plenty of correct information, right? So they'll focus on like, you know, having high fruit and vegetable intake and limiting this and that. And then they either just add stuff or they extrapolate way beyond what the data actually suggests. And so those are the hardest people to like, you know, for instance, there's a guy, um, what's his name? I don't know, some like primal organ meat eating guy right now. And he's like, you know, popular. And it's like, okay, so he's clearly ridiculous, right? I mean, he's literally saying, I just eat organ meat. It's gonna, he's like, if you have a weak heart, eat heart and like, you know, like eat heart meat and all like, just whatever. And, and so like, I think most people could see that and it's like, all right, like he's getting a following, but it's kind of a joke. Like it's very obvious. Um, but like somebody like Mark Hyman, it's like, oh, like this, this is actually legitimate. And, and look at all, he's got all these studies. And if it's in a study that nobody's actually going to go read the original research, then it's supported. And those people, it's very, hard for the average person to dismiss or even know that they should be dismissed because a lot of it is actually accurate. Yeah, absolutely. That they are then start talking in absolutes because people don't like the answer. It depends. Yeah. And talking those absolutes, it's easier for people to understand rather than getting the nuance of understanding. And yeah, with him in particular, it's very tricky. He's a doctor. He's got his Mm -hmm. MD and he said, there are some things I'm not going to argue that a plant-based diet is not good for people. Mm-hmm. That's right. But then he, yeah, he kind of takes it the extra step yeah. to make himself stand out. And then that point, then people trust him. It's discrediting people who are saying something different. Yeah. Yeah. He's not even just a doctor. He's, I think he was at Cleveland clinic. Like he was at like a esteemed, you know, facility and, you know, you can say, Oh, and I'm sure people could say like, well, this guy's a Cleveland clinic physician. Like, who are you? And it is tough, especially, I mean, somebody like you or like Lane with like a PhD in it or Gabrielle Fandaro, but like, you know, people who have less of a background, I just think it's understandable how hard it is to dismiss some of these people. But it's a shame because I don't, I don't think it's ever going to go away. We can always just try to educate, but the magnanimous personalities and things like that are often going to win out. And I guess all you can do is just kind of chip away at it and keep trying to provide good knowledge, but it's tough. Yeah. And the more voices like what you're doing and Gabby's doing and Lane's doing is, is sharing the science and getting people to trust us, um, the scientists get out there. Yeah. We need to be supporting more of that science communication on social media. Uh, that's where people are. And there are people who need to be in the labs doing the science. We need those types of scientists, but we yeah. also need people at the level that are going to translate it and get the message out. Because yes, there are great organizations uh, like American Institute for Cancer Research is one of my favorite organizations in nutrition and cancer, for example, or we've got our academies, you know, our professional organizations, but those are organizations. They're not people. So when right. they're giving out information on their social media, no one sees a face behind mm-hmm. that. Who is behind that? Yep. And so if we can create more faces of the science, I think that's how we continue to chip away at that. 
Yeah, no, that's a, good, that's a great point. As far as research goes, you know, people often talk about how nutritional research is very hard to conduct one because compliance is often very poor. People just lie about <laughs> their diet. They misremember um, a lot of it's epidemiological studies. How does that factor into what you do? Do you find it hard to make robust conclusions from the information that you have? Yeah, absolutely. It's our trials are small and they're largely based to on pop, large population studies that we're seeing associations with, but we don't have long-term intervention studies. And as you mm -hmm. talked about, the adherence is a big part of it. Like, okay, if this diet is doing these awesome things, but people only 10% were sticking to it, is that really something I'm going to recommend to people? And there's not enough money invested in funding nutrition research. Right. And then if there is funding from industry who does want to support the science, yes, they have, they want the science to help develop the next product and whatever, but it's supporting nutrition science. Oh, you have bias automatically right, you have funding from industry. It's like, so what do you want? You want more nutrition research, but you don't want the money coming from anywhere that you think is impure. Like, right. Yeah. Which is tough. Right. I mean, that's a lot of the issues with pharmaceutical research as well. And, and it's both a completely legitimate concern when like the pharmaceutical company is funding all of it, but at the same time, who else is going to fund it was that much money, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of like, where do you, and it's, it's a shame also, because like you do every once in a while come across these kind of like scandals where it's like, wow, there really was like this, like really nefarious uh, activity going on. Right. Um, and I think even if that's a small percentage, I think then that colors people's views about what is like really going on with most research. Yeah. It's like, again, people can attack the nutrition research from, oh, it's government funded, big government right? Right, yeah. industry or pharmaceutical. Like, so we want people giving us money out of their pocketbooks. I mean, yeah, yeah. where's that money going to come from? And I actually wish more pharmaceutical companies would invest some money into supporting nutrition research to yeah. see how nutrition can help support the efficacy of their drugs. Yeah. Because right now mm -hmm. it's kind of like okay. either or drugs or nutrition approach. Mm -hmm. Like the nutrition approach can actually potentially support your outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Cause I, well, but when you started that sentence, I was thinking in my mind, like it'd be great if they supported the nutrition research, but they, they really don't have any incentive to, but in how you're saying it, if it helps the clinical outcomes from the pharmaceuticals, then that could make sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that either, or if you're saying like, actually, if you get people on this diet, longer time till resistance of treatments, that's a positive. That means people yeah. can stay on your drug for longer and get better outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. And even going back to um, like specific, carbo specific carbohydrate diet, I've heard people in those forums and everything say that in their opinion, it allowed them to respond to these biologic drugs for a longer period of time. You know, even if you could in theory be on like a TNF alpha inhibitor and then like eat junk food, maybe you can stay on it longer because there's less of an inflammatory response if you have a proper diet too, which, you know, ideally you would be doing both, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great for both ends, right? With the patient now, they can't use that anymore. They've got to go through a whole process of getting mm -hmm. insurance off for the next drug. Oh man, don't even get me started on yeah. that. <laughs> so, yeah. It's and have to show that you weren't responding to the other and yeah. then the patient's waiting weeks to months before they're able to get on the next treatment. So. Yeah. 
-hmm. Yeah, I will, I will say we don't have to get into it, but like as a both a provider and a patient, I don't know if there's like an entity I disdain more than insurance companies. Like, obviously, they, there's a lot of good behind it, but I'm just saying like the the amount of nonsense you have to go through to get drugs covered or to call in for patients and hours on the phone is just uh, it's a mess. Yeah, they have they are dictating healthcare in this country and it's a damn shame. Yeah, for sure. So keto diets and cancer has been talked mm -hmm. about for a long time. So I first came across ketogenic diets when I was in high school. I remember like actually reading, if you know, Lyle McDonald and, and you know, he's kind of a controversial figure in, in the uh, like evidence-based space of nutrition and training and all that, but he's, he's written a number of books on uh, protein and, and different diets and everything. So his ketogenic diet book was the first one I came across like over 15 years ago now. And I, I tried it back in high school. I tried it a number of times since. And one of the things that people talk about like fad diets and I always say, well, you know, it's not really a fad diet. I mean, ketogenic diets have been around for a very long time and, you know, they're used to treat epilepsy and, or at least in, um, you know, in conjunction with other things. And so people were also talking about it for cancer. And I think even to show how much nutrition is a niche, because obviously we talked about Lane Norton and, and being edu very educated. He made this statement that like, this was years back. He was like, you know, if I had cancer, I'd go on a ketogenic diet immediately. And I think that that is a bit of a misguided blanket statement, right? Because my understanding is there are potentially some cancers that may benefit from being on a ketogenic diet, but others that have actually been shown to get worse. But again, I'm, I'm in no means, by no means an expert in that. So why don't you <laughs> inform yeah. us? Well, that's interesting that someone makes that statement. Like, clearly you have never interacted with anyone who's gone through cancer and yeah. <laughs> to see what the adherence would actually be. Well, uh, right, right. Right, it's like, but okay. So in theory, yes. And what we've seen in animal studies was on the keto diet, you are reducing glucose levels, you're reducing insulin levels, IGF-1. Cancer cells are rapidly dividing cells. So yes, having more glucose and they prefer a lot of them prefer glucose because it helps rapidly divide. They don't have to rely on their dysfunctional mitochondria to get energy. And then those insulin and IGF-1 are growth signals. Okay, so the theory is if you reduce their supply of nutrients and reduce something that's telling them to grow, then that would have a benefit on reducing growth. Okay, but what we have seen in human studies has not translated. First of all, the research is very limited. Back to that adherence point, what I think is interesting looking at the studies that have been done on keto and cancer is the adherence rates are very, very low. Yeah. Um, so even when someone is faced with cancer and here's an option to try this diet therapy, it is very difficult to adhere to. I'm sure. Yeah. My, um, this is a quick tangent. My friend's father who like I grew up with everything, he passed by, from a glioblastoma. And I believe that a glioblastoma has actually is one of the cancers that responds pretty well to a yes. ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I told my friend about it, but it was kind of like, all right, he's probably got about three months to live. Does this guy really want to extend his life? Even if it's double the lifespan, you could go to six months and tell this guy, hey man, you just eat meat and like eggs. And so, like, it's just not, going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, not to dismiss it, but this guy's like, you know, I think he was late fifties entire life of, of this style of eating. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people would do it. It's good to know the options there, yeah. but 
like you said, I just couldn't imagine. I don't even know if he ended up telling his father about it because he was like, look, like he's so out of it at this point. Like it's just, yeah. So Right, like three months. I mean, we don't know if it would be six months. It might be an extra month. Is that yeah. worth it to be following a very controlled diet? Which that's everyone's personal yeah. choice. But as you said, yeah, most of the research has been done in the glioblastoma, the brain cancer research, because yes, mm-hmm. brain, brain cells require a lot of glucose. So right. that is selectively um, starving them. But in the human trials, not well-controlled, poor compliance, small studies, just not enough to be convincing to recommend that. And when someone says, if I get cancer, cancer is not one disease. Mm-hmm. Cancer is an umbrella of over a hundred different diseases. Yep. And we know even within that same person and that tumor, within that tumor, the different cells have different mutations. Yep. So there's different mutations that cause cancer, even within the individual that's why we have treatment resistance because some cells are responding, some aren't. Yeah. So um, I, not to dismiss though, that there is a lot of research into metabolic therapies. Sure. So looking at fasting, mimicking, ketogenic diet, uh, reducing protein of specific amino acids. So that this is an active area of research, but we don't have the research yet to be umbrella blanket statement saying that this is a diet that people need to follow. And what I will say where we do have consistent research is that those that have unintentional weight loss or losing muscle during cancer treatment have poorer outcomes. So we don't want to be doing diets that are going to induce weight loss or muscle loss because that leads to more treatment related toxicities. Then that's going to lead to infections, dose reductions, hospitalizations, which all lead to poor outcomes. Right, right. So you talked about the uh, fasting mimetic diet, right? And, and some of these things. So is there, is that also in the camp of kind of being theoretical or, or, or is, do we have actual research showing like this is extending in humans lifespan in those with cancer? Mm-hmm. Nope, not there yet, but they are in active areas of research. I will say in that area, they have been running a lot of different trials and they just published um, a paper at Cancer Discovery um, where they did a fasting mimicking diet in individuals. They were only so what I thought was interesting. So a fasting mimicking diet is on day one, 600 calories and days two to five, they're getting about 300 calories. Okay. And they have to eat these products. I don't know if you've heard of Walter Longo. I was about to ask, this is like Walter Longo's. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got their product line. And so they had to consume these products because they're low protein. high in fat. like, it's not something that you can do with your own food, yeah. essentially to, to mimic this. Um, but they supplied the food for these individuals. Only 20% got up to doing eight cycles of this. So they do five days of the fasting mimicking, then the rest is the refeeding period. For how long is the refeeding period? Um, 23 to 25 days. So each cycle is like a month. Yes. Okay. So doing the fasting just once a month. Right? Yeah. Like, okay. I could do that maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, what they saw was after the third cycle, there was weight loss. It tends to be weight loss. And so some people had to stop doing this because uh, that weight loss was continuing. Um, and again, eight months in only 20% were still following this wow. approach. Mm-hmm. And you think about cancer treatments are many months. Um, right. What about the right. people who are chronic um, and will be treated for the rest of their life? Right. Are they going to be able to do this? And it's and, five days, right? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And you were saying that the, so did they show outcomes in those who stuck with it? Like this was for people who had cancer 
and they were trying to find progression or what was the outcome? They were mm-hmm. So they weren't, they were doing um, chemotherapies and they had different mix of cancer types. So that's just again, showing how muddy this data is right now, mm-hmm. um, different cancer types within that. So they're using different chemotherapy regimens. Um, even they grouped everyone who did it and looking at the results. Okay. Um, so they weren't actually separating out those that did eight cycles versus those that completed one cycle. So I'm still curious, like how many cycles do people need to do uh, to get these benefits? If it is something people incorporate once yeah. in a while, if they're doing well with their nutrition, not losing weight, then let's so throw that in there. You were, they, they looked at everybody who did it successfully. So those, those 20% or they just put everybody together, put everyone together. Interesting. I'm surprised. So they, that's interesting that they did not analyze the data just for the 20% who did it successfully, because I would want to know, I mean, to me, of course, there's the practical aspect of it. Like, well, Hey, if, if people aren't sticking with it, that's important to know. But as somebody who, you know, who has never cheated on their diet almost ever, I would want to know, well, if we do stick with it, what would be the results? That's interesting that they wouldn't take that subset. Because then they had a sample of 20, looking at 20 people of different yeah. cancer types and different regimens. Um, what can you really extract? Maybe they tried to, but that didn't make it into the paper. Right. And it's a high quality paper. They're not going to allow for yeah. those types of, of small details. So I'd be curious to see yeah, what that group was. Um, yeah. They did also in that study. So this study included a bunch of studies. So it looks like they're just okay. pulling from all the little trials that they've done. Yeah. Um, had these women that were going to get mastectomies, uh, so get the tumors removed, do their fasting uh, one cycle of that before surgery. And they did see more infiltration of these immune cells that, um, mm. so tumor infiltration of the immune cells. So what is interesting is that they've seen stuff in animal studies, they've seen it systemically, like looking at blood work, and then in this study, able to actually see that immune function benefit in the tumor. So. And they're arguing because a lot of the, as far as like in like the health and fitness industry and like body comp stuff, a lot of the arguments against like intermittent fasting and like every other day fasting and things like that is that, you know what, it's just another way to create a calorie deficit. The only reason they lost more fat is because it was a calorie deficit. And even like when we'll see some research showing like, oh, they had better health markers. It's like, yeah, but like they also lost weight. So even if they said that they were eating the same they must've been eating less. And then we, what we see is correlating with what we see in, in calorie deficit research. I would imagine that Walter Longo is arguing that this is not specifically just due to a net calorie deficit and that he feels this is better than if somebody were to just have, let's say like a 10% deficit or whatever the equivalent would be over the month. I'm guessing he's feeling there's something about this specific, I don't know if it's a hormetic response or something in this five-day period that's special. Right, that this mechanism of this stress response that happens in the short term, high you know deficit fasting, mm-hmm. essentially like the, the same as a water fast, that yeah. this would stimulate um, this repair functions, kind of put the good cells into senescence and mm-hmm. the cancer cells are still going. And so they're going to be maybe more susceptible to the chemos. Right. Right. And that could potentially reduce treatment related toxicities. Now that I am in- intrigued by, I'm like, yeah, that biologically that would make sense sure. mechanistically. And yeah. I mean, and I believe maybe because he has the product, he says that it works better than just fasting, like pure fasting. 
but I would imagine that you could probably get the same results if you didn't want to buy these products from just doing a five day fast. Yeah. Doing a water fast. Yeah. 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 Do you, do, okay. So you, you also agree. Cause I think, have you seen him argue that his would actually be better for some reason than just fasting or just that it's easier because you get to eat something that, and, and yes, that they have seen that, um, the lower IGF one or lower insulin levels and water fasting alone, which I don't quite understand. Um, and then also providing fat is going to help with the ketone production. And so mm. that would have some benefit too. You said there's lower IGF one with water fasting. No, no. Oh, with his. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Why or, I again, I'm not going to, they did address it in the intro talking okay. about them. They're like, this could be just as good as or better okay. than um, the water fasting. Now, is there the molecular stuff to show that? I'm not sure yeah. that I'm not as familiar with. So I won't speak to that, but um, people, I read one article is written by uh, science, like the magazine, and uh, they had a participant and saying that the products were awful. <laughs> they did not like the taste of the products. And uh, she's like, if this is my only option, I would keep doing it. But I didn't like the products. But yeah. that could come down to like a food science piece and finding products that are right. palatable. Um, could I be might, well, go ahead. Yeah, I might just prefer fasting. And I don't know if you've done like any extended fasting. I've done two three day fasts. And uh, it, I, I almost feel like it would be more annoying to eat like 600 calories because I would just want so much more like to some extent, if I'm just like, I'm just not eating today, I'm busy. I'm doing other things to like nibble on some salad or something, or like some nuts. I just feel like, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it almost, I, I could do either one, but to me, it wasn't that hard to not eat for three days. Yeah. I've never done five days. Have We're you done talking about like a healthy adult? Right. And we're talking right. about here, people with cancer, right. With pain, with medications that have side effects. So they should be taken with food to help mm. reduce the nausea. Um, and they did address this in their last paper. Like you, we need to be strategic about what cancer population this is most appropriate for. Um, Cause there are many cancer types where there's a high risk of malnutrition, mm -hmm. you know, pain, already side effects from the cancer itself, not from the treatment from the cancer itself. So then including more of these barriers to nutrition could be doing more harm than good. But yes, there are, yeah. there are no good cancers. I'll say that, right. but there are some cancers where they're actually more risk of weight gain and uh, the side effects are a little different. Right. What do you think about the idea of healthy individuals doing, you know, maybe every quarter doing a three to five day fast preventatively? And, and I think this would be very hard to ever have like legitimate research on because are you just going to follow people who are doing this for like years? But certainly that's something that people talk about, about incorporating occasional fasts to reduce the likelihood of getting cancer. Do you think there's any validity to that? I think you're right in that we're not going to be able to do that type of research mm -hmm. um, to see like what are the long-term um, outcomes. I say like in short term, I don't see many negative effects. If someone is not taking, you know, medications they have to do or pretty generally healthy adult, but on, I would not do it personally. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like 
I'd rather do something where there is a lot of research to support like a diet that's high in fiber and low in processed foods and exercise and making sure I have enough energy to exercise. I'll say that right. if you don't let me eat, then I'm not moving. Right. And we know the benefits of exercise are that research is prolific. Yeah. So I'd rather err on the side of where the research is to, for my own comfort, but people feel good about doing that. I, yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. Um, I, like I said, I've done it twice just to see. Actually, the two times I did it, it's because I, I had some like pretty severe GI distress. And so obviously it was a great break. I felt fantastic on it. So uh, mm-hmm. now once I then got back to eating, I, I still had problems, right? So it was no way like a cure, but even just like mentally, it was like, okay, I'm just going to like, you know, if I was particularly bad, um, I, I don't really have much of an opinion on if it would help, I could see it maybe, you know, for like the reasons mentioned previously, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. feel confident saying like, this is something you should do. It's like, eh, if you want to try it, we're not going to know if it worked or not, but yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, so. if it made you feel good for a few days and that helped improve your quality of life for a few days. And yeah, you know, as long as it's not something like, again, who is that appropriate for a healthy individual who's got good relationship with food, right. who's not using it for you know, short-term weight loss mm-hmm. and that type of yo-yoing. That's yeah, good point. But yeah. In practice, no, I would generally not recommend that for people that I'm working with. Right, right, right. Um, so a lot of people talk about a ketogenic diet for also for gut health and, and a lot of people now there was a like carnivore diet being talked about, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, I actually did, and I'm just somebody who likes to experiment with different things. Most of my diet for the last 18 years has been like kind of like a standard healthy diet, higher protein, maybe higher than like what would like typically be recommended, like one gram per pound or a little bit higher. Um, but high fruits and vegetables, et cetera. But I have tried ketogenic diet a number of times. I would say I did feel better on the whole, um, even when eating quite a bit of fiber. So I would wonder, I guess, if you feel like there's, you know, some people like, um, what's his name? Uh, Dom Diagostino. He's like mm-hmm. big on, can- on um, ketogenic diet research. He feels like something to do with the ketones themselves are anti-inflammatory and actually have a, a strong benefit there. Um, other people will say, no, it's just in the same way of an elimination diet there you're just taking away something that causes a problem and on the extreme end you've got like carnivore diet right and and i did one month of carnivore diet just to just to see you like being Uh, a guinea pig yeah yeah right well so my i i felt fantastic i really did like gi wise i felt fantastic um but my cholesterol was do you want to guess what my total cholesterol and my ldl was uh where were you at 300 so my total was about 450 oh. and my LDL was about 350. <laughs> so Whoa. that was in one month in one month. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I know some people will kind of argue, well, we don't know enough about cholesterol and it's only bad in the presence of, you know, low HDL and high triglycerides as well. I don't, I'm not subscribing to that theory for now. I, I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of research to show that very high LDL does cause problem in a lot of people. So I, that alone would be enough for me to not do it. Um, as well as obviously you're missing out on a ton of nutrients and fiber and everything like that. So it's, it's, it's interesting that that trend and, and that camp has kind of become popularized, but it's not something I recommend. Um, 
But but what do you think about the fact that like so many people, especially with autoimmune issues and GI issues, feel so much better on it? On the keto diet? On keto and carnivore. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it, theory-wise, um, again, back to the limiting of the processed foods, mm-hmm. you've got to be smart about maybe preparing your own meals at home. So more home cooking, again, maybe having regular eating patterns, because you've got to think in advance about what you're going to eat. So how can we tease out, are you feeling better because you're eating only meat or because of the dietary pattern that you have changed? Now you're maybe eating at regular intervals. You're preparing again more of your meals at home. How does that, how can we tease that out? Right. And that you've reduced processed foods in your diet. Did you need to go to that extreme to get those benefits? Could you have found something in the middle that mm-hmm. would have been just as beneficial? So you don't think that like, cause I, I agree. I mean, certainly I think taking out like the processed foods and all that is helpful. And it's interesting. Like I've, I've seen studies on inflammatory bowel disease where it's like literally a, a like all animal diet and they showed benefits. And then I saw an all vegan diet and they showed benefits. And it's like, all right, well, what's the commonality there that they're not having all of these processed foods for the most part. Um, but I do wonder, cause like there are people who do a ketogenic diet and like, they'll eat kind of just still like crappy foods. Like they'll have bacon and burgers. And I mean, not that burgers is necessarily bad, but like still somewhat processed foods. Um, and even like dairy, like and cheese, and like they can fit that in and they still s- claim to feel a lot better. Do you, so you don't feel like maybe there's anything to like reducing all the carbs for some of these people or. Yeah, maybe reducing the carbs, but that's coming from processed foods too. But the carbs, you know, if they were not being careful about where they were incorporating those carbs, the portion sizes of those carbs, they might've been writing a blood glucose roller coaster, Mm -hmm. right? Having spikes and drops. And yeah, that's going to make anyone feel pretty fatigued. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of cut out those rises and falls, but could they have been okay with having a serving of a sweet potato at that meal and still been okay? Yes. I agree that the blood glucose regulation might be a big part of why they are feeling better, but you don't need to cut out all carbs to have better blood glucose regulation. Yeah. But if it's easier for people to just say, I don't really like carbs, I don't need it, then. Right. So you you don't see it like much of a negative with the ketogenic diet either. You're kind of like neutral to it. Oh, no, I would not recommend it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) From what I know about cancer and cancer prevention, um, again, there is some keto where I'm eating lean protein. I have lots of veggies. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. what we do know for the research, large population studies, all over the world, gathered over long follow-up periods that diets that are low in animal products, higher in whole grains and fiber containing foods, reduce risk of cancer. Okay. So I kind of look at this like a health, overall health perspective, like lower risk of heart disease, lower risk of cancer risk. Um, That speaks volumes to me about how consistent that research has been about animal products, um, specifically meats, and risk of cancer and okay. also with so, higher fiber intakes risk of cancer right yeah because i was gonna say so you are because some people like i said that say cancer or risk of cancer is going to be lower with a ketogenic diet you're saying not only is that not true you think it would be higher overall with a typical ketogenic diet 
depending on what they're eating in that ketogenic diet. Like you gave the example of someone who's maybe eating bacon and right. cheese and no vegetables. Okay. You're feeling great in the short term. Yeah. What about even, vegetables? I would wonder though, even like, because again, somebody like Dom D'Agostino, are you familiar with him? I've heard of him. I'm not as familiar with okay. what he promotes. But he, he's been on a ketogenic diet for over like 10 years now, but he's been on it for so long. He will still incorporate like a handful of blueberries at night and stuff like that and still be back into <laughs> ketosis, you know, like pretty much right away, or at least by like the next morning. Um, mm-hmm. However, I, I don't know if he's just so adapted to it, but his cholesterol levels are actually pretty good. Now, when I've done a ketogenic diet and tested my lipids, it was not as bad as a carnivore diet. Um, and I kind of did again, an experiment where I did like a kind of, I guess, traditional ketogenic diet. So just higher fat meats and things like that. And my, my total was still like in the three hundreds and my LDL was still like close to 200. Then I did another month where I stuck with ketogenic diet, but I tried to have much more of the fats come from olive oil and avocados, which admittedly avocados could have raised fiber, right? So that could be a factor too. Mm-hmm. And my cholesterol like got reasonably good, still a little over 200, but my HDL was very high and my triglycerides were very low. It was a level where it's like, you know what, I'd be comfortable with this. Um, but do I think it's as good as like, you know, more fruit and vegetable intake and everything? Probably not. Um, I think you can design a pretty healthy ketogenic diet, but a- as you mentioned, I mean, you're still, you really have to focus on getting a lot of fiber. And at that point, you're probably not even in ketosis. I I mean, for me, having higher protein and high vegetable intake, my ketone levels were like 0.5 to one, maybe. So like, I mean, you're barely in nutritional ketosis at that point. Right, right. No, I think that's an interesting point. I have worked with patients who have told me they're on the keto diet and then them telling me what they're doing. Like, you're not on the keto diet. Right. Limited processed carbs. I'm good for you. You're feeling good on something where you're eating more lean proteins and you're getting more vegetables, less starchy vegetables in your diet. Great. Call it whatever you want. Right, right, right. Yeah. As long as you still have those foundations. Uh, but where I do get concerned is like, oh, but do you really need all that bacon and cheese yeah. and these things that again, our, our recommendations for uh, processed meat is to avoid Mm-hmm. Uh, due to the risk of colorectal cancer and that strong right. association, uh, red meats limiting to less than 18 ounces a week due to that risk of colorectal okay. cancer. Uh, that, that's what I was going to, I'm glad you brought that back up because I wanted to ask. So from what I've seen, like pretty clearly processed meats are a no-go, right? I mean, that, that those should be avoided. Um, I don't know if that's largely because of the nitrates or, or what they speculate. Is, is that a big reason you think? Yeah, yeah part of that. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my understanding was it's like, so night, like the processed meats, no go fish, maybe poultry could be okay. Or even I've seen some like protective benefit. Maybe I think it was with fish and then red meat I've either seen is fine as long as it's not processed or as you said, should be limited. So you lean more towards red meat, should even completely non-processed, like a, you know, a 93.7 ground beef, you'd still limit that. I think that brings up the good point about the, our population research and with the red meat, someone who's eating a high red meat diet, what else might be right. tagged with that type of dietary approach? Maybe also right. not getting the fiber. Are they choosing the lean meat or is it the drive through hamburger um, yeah. kind of red meat? 
Yeah. So, so basically at this point, you just kind of, you feel like you can't really tease it out too much because you can only control so many variables. Right. Yeah. And I think the more variety you can have in your diet of your proteins, like chicken, fish, turkey, uh, limited red meat, maybe some pork, but I mean, we all have, I, I eat bacon occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's that. Yeah. Like, come on. We also, we also have to live. Sure. Also sure. Live. And right. um, I think that's a common thread too. in the way that I approach nutrition, like it is about finding a diet that works best for you. Um, but being careful about how that's saying like, well, this makes me feel good. So everyone should be doing this. And the science mm. says everyone should be doing like, well, what does the science really say? And is this appropriate for people with specific disease states that need to eat a little differently? Yeah. So I'm definitely going to title this something a little bit clickbaity, like how to not get cancer. So let's, <laughs> let's just give like a little like uh, rundown. So obviously people know regular exercise is great. Um, I just saw a, a study showing, actually it was surprising the extent that basically ha- the higher the step count was the lower all cause mortality. Um, but like yeah. even up to like 16,000 steps a day, like I would have thought that kind of maxed out around a certain amount. I'm over here getting like 6,000 a day. Like basically I walk between patients. Like that's my, <laughs> my daily walking, uh-huh. but even up to like 16,000 was con- um, considerably lower risk. Um, so obviously like general movement. From your standpoint, from the nutrition standpoint, you've talked about high fiber. Um, do you want to just kind of a brief overview of your general avoid cancer diet recommendations? Yeah, well, I'll say not my opinion. This is based on the American Institute for Cancer Research uh, puts together these cancer prevention guidelines based on synthesizing the research. And they bring in experts to analyze the research. They have gone through different cancer types and what the diet, physical activity, body weight, lifestyle factors, essentially, and the risk of that cancer. So if people really want to get into the nitty gritty about different cancer types, that's all free, publicly available. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the last cancer prevention guidelines, they've been the same for the past two decades. um, Because the research is pretty consistent, (laughs) shows Mm -hmm. over and over again, right? Um, That maintaining a healthy body weight, being physically active, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, so higher fiber, limiting processed foods, limiting red meat and avoiding processed meats, um, not smoking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually in their recommendations to say, uh, do not take supplements for cancer prevention. Really? Yeah, because uh, remember the, the trial that showed that smokers that took vitamin A yeah. supplements had a higher risk. So don't take a supplement for the sole purpose of preventing cancer. We don't have that research. Was um, it, so it was vitamin A. I thought there was another one showing vitamin E, similar issue. Yes. Right. With the prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and I was familiar with that. And I think it's one of those things where I doubt if you were to eat fruits and vegetables to get a very high level of vitamin A and E, you'd at all see an issue. I mean, I'm speculating, but I, I just doubt you would. But I think it's something to do with like that concentrated, the like pure vitamin something there seems mm-hmm. to be causing an issue. Yeah, it's going to act differently than the amount that we're getting from foods. And I think it's great that you'll be promoting it this way because actually February is Cancer Prevention Month. Okay, perfect. Um, and so AICR, American Institute for Cancer Research, has a lot of great resources. Um, so I highly recommend and direct to people, but primarily recommending, you know, limiting the processed foods, sugar sweetened beverages, limiting alcohol. Of course, yeah, that was another yeah. one I forgot. Right, right, right. Um, red and processed meats, and then consuming more plants in the diet. 
And, and as far as, cause I know a lot of people listening here are eating high protein. Do you see any issue? I mean, I've seen Lane and Stu Phillips both talk about how protein itself is not a problem. So as long as it's not a lot of processed meats and maybe a ton of red meat, fish, chicken, and vegetable proteins, that yeah. there's no indications against that, right? Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And right. I'm working with cancer patients. There's actually a, a recent opinion paper on this of experts that during cancer treatment, because protein needs are so high, we should be encouraging individuals to be consuming animal proteins because of the completeness mm. of them. Um, how a small portion, you're going to get a lot of protein. So when right. appetite's low, these are great protein sources and just showing how valuable muscle is not just for physique, Right. It's metabolically right. active and has health benefits for an individual. So the more that we can do to support healthy muscles, support being active, yeah, that's going to have longevity outcomes. Awesome. Well, Crystal, I thought this was fantastic. Thank you so much for taking yeah. the time out of your day to talk with everybody. And if anybody wants to see more of your work, where can they go? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Cancer Nutrition HQ, also at Real Nutrition Science, um, and just sharing the science on cancer nutrition. Awesome. So we will have links to the uh, Instagram as well as the charity down below. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you.